Is our world falling apart or are things falling into place? Find out more on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor, Joe Kerr, with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with Joseph Kerr, and we are honored to be with you today. As our world continues to deal with threats from all sides, we find ourselves asking, what does God's Word say about these issues? Today we have the special opportunity to hear about Bible prophecy from the perspective of a new novel from best-selling author Donna Van Leer. Donna, welcome to A View from the Wall. Uh, thank you so much. So appreciate being here. Well, Donna, you are a New York Times bestselling author with more than 3 million books in print. And I know many of our people may know about your past books like The Christmas Shoes or The Christmas Blessing that were made into CBS movies or even The Christmas Secret on Hallmark. But now you've turned to a new topic, Bible prophecy, which is a big one for us, with your new title, The Time of Jacob's Trouble with Harvest House Publishers. Tell us a little bit about the story behind your new project. Well, it's actually a hybrid book. I've never seen anything like it before, and I just really feel like God gave me the idea for this book several years ago when I began studying Bible prophecy in earnest. I would sit in church Sunday after Sunday, and I would find myself saying things to myself like, I'm pretty sure I've heard this same message at least 25 times in my life. And I found I kept saying that to myself, but I would always have to check my spirit and say, there may be someone else here who hasn't heard this particular message. But as time went on, it was kind of like an epiphany came to me one Sunday, Joe, and I thought, wow, a message that I haven't heard in literally decades has been the return of Christ. And when I was a little girl, the pastor of our church or visiting pastors would always say things like that, like Jesus is coming soon or Christ will be returning. And it wasn't presented in a scary way. It was just part of the whole counsel of God that we were taught when I, when I was little. But as I sat in church one Sunday morning, I thought, I literally have not heard that message in decades. And I thought, if I haven't heard it, then that means that the millennials behind me have not heard it. Generation Z has not heard it, and I just started studying it on my own. I was just tearing apart the Bible and studying the prophecies of the Bible and came across Isaiah 46, where it says, For I'm God, and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done. And God is the one true God. He is the true author and creator um, of the universe, and he is the only one who has ever been able to say something that's going to happen in the future, that's prophecy, and have it come true with 100% fulfillment. And already he's done that 500 times from the Bible. There's over 1,800 prophecies already, 500 of them fulfilled with 100% fulfillment, accuracy, and that leaves 1,300 more, and we know 
that all of them are going to be fulfilled with 100% accuracy. And I was studying this and tearing apart the Bible and researching it for many years and really felt like God was giving me the idea to write a book that would be three quarters novel, but one quarter of it at the end to be in-note teaching so that people wouldn't just be reading a fiction story. I would have no interest in just reading a fiction story about this, but I wanted to write a book that I would want to read, a book that would take me straight into Scripture. Okay, what have I just read? Take me into the Bible and prove it. And so that's what I wanted to do with the time of Jacob's trouble. That is a great way to do it, and I love that you included both, and people could actually use this book in a small group discussion or something like that to learn from it, and from what I've seen of the book, it would lend itself very well to that. So take us through the story part of that, not necessarily the Bible prophecy, we'll talk about that in another segment, but walk us through the storyline, tell us a little bit about the characters. Sure, I wanted to follow some people here in the state, but also follow people in Israel, because when we talk about the end time, it hinges around Israel. So I wanted to take people there as well. So I follow a group of friends in New York City, but I also follow a man named Zira in Israel. And so we we meet him, and he is part of the 144,000, and those are actual Jewish evangelists. We first meet them in Revelation 7. We're told that they come from the 12 tribes of Israel. And every single one of these 144,000 Jewish men, they're not part of the church. The church and Israel are separated through the entire uh, council of the Bible, Old and New Testament. They are separated. So these are 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will be supernaturally sealed by God in the end times so that nothing and no one will be able to harm them. They won't be able to touch them, won't be able to get near them. These men are going to be supernaturally protected so that they can spread out throughout the entire world and proclaim the gospel and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so we meet a couple of those men within this book, who, who are charged with that. They are one of the 144,000 sealed servants of God, so we'll meet them and also meet Emma and her friends in New York City. We meet a few world leaders in this particular book as well, and how the world is really reeling um, in the midst of chaos and upheaval. We think that the world is chaotic right now as we all deal with COVID-19, This is nothing compared to what it's going to be like in what Jesus calls the end of the age. This this isn't even going to scratch the surface as to what it's going to be like. So we meet them as they're going through this chaotic, disturbing, and confusing time and how all these people start rising to the top on on the world leadership stage and as these 144,000 Jewish men spread out throughout the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The title of your book, The Time of Jacob's Trouble, actually comes from Jeremiah 30, verse 7, that says, How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. This is a fabulous message for anyone who's looking for a new book on the end times, and we'll be back with more on A View from the Wall right after this. Stick with us.
From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. Are you a watchman for the Lord? The term watchman is used in Scripture more than a dozen times, most notably in Ezekiel 33. It describes someone who is spiritually awake and active in serving, watching, waiting, and warning. A watchman will know what is happening in the world and will study and prayerfully discern which events may lay a foundation for or have a tie to the fulfillment of prophecy. A watchman dedicates his life to knowing the Word, how to live it, and how to share it. He talks the talk and walks the walk. The I'm a Watchman ministry believes that God is raising up an army of watchmen to witness and warn in such a time as this. Are you part of that army? Visit imawatchman.com to learn more. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. imawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. This is Dylan Burrows along with Joseph Kerr, and we have been talking with Donna Van Leer about her new book, The Time of Jacob's Trouble. And in this segment, we want to talk a little bit more about the other section of the book. We know Donna Van Leer from her novels, but in this book, she also includes a nonfiction section that talks about Bible prophecy. So Donna, talk a little bit about that section of your book so people know what to expect as they read this title. Yes, the book is actually... Uh, the way I have it written is that you may read five chapters, five or six chapters, out of the novel portion. And at the very end of those six chapters, at the bottom of the page, it'll say, for the true biblical fact behind what you just read, turn to the where in the word section on page such and such. And you'll be able to go to the back section and then read through that endnote teaching. Some people I've heard from them, they are choosing to read all of the novel first and then do that. But a lot of people are actually doing it as it's written. They're reading the five or six chapters, and then they're going back into the where in the word section so that they have a better understanding of, of what they're reading. And I just, I have it broken down in there. We talk about the seizing of the bride of Christ. I go into what is the bride of Christ. I go into uh, the analogy of the Jewish wedding, so that when Jesus told his disciples, when he said, I go and prepare a place for you, that was wedding language to them. They knew exactly what he was talking about. It's something that they were so familiar with, those Jewish weddings and how and how the, the groom would prepare a room inside of his, um, attached to his father's house, and he would get it all ready, and then the father was the one who who deemed it so. He was the one who said, okay, you're ready now to bring your bride home and go get her. So I go into that, and I just talk about what it means to be in Christ. Well, what does that mean? We hear a lot of those verses, that the dead in Christ shall rise. So I, I break all that down. So there's just a lot of different end note teaching in there to um, to broaden what people may not know. It, and hopefully, God willing, it will increase their faith. It will increase their breadth of Bible prophecy and, and particularly those prophecies about the end times so that people are prepared, so that we are ready. Because Jesus said, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. 
So through all those pages and the where in the word section, I really want to reiterate to people that things are looking up. We are really looking up to the return of Christ. Looking up is a great way to put it. I love that. Looking up. That's good. Let me take you back to something you said about Israel. They are pivotal in every discussion of end times, but that that one's obvious. Tell me, why did you choose to set part of it in New York? Well, because just from a storyteller's point of view, when you think about Ezekiel um, 38 and 39, that's that end time invasion of Israel that hasn't happened yet. And I'm actually getting ready to turn in book two from this series. And I break that down, what that end time invasion is, proving that it has not happened yet. But when we, um, when we think about that invasion from a storyteller's point of view, I thought the only way for this coalition of nations to truly attack Israel is to get the United States out of the way. You can't have a powerhouse like the United States still operating on the world stage. They have to be hobbled. Well, wait, the first hobbling is when Jesus snatches, when he seizes his bride. There will be millions of people who will be snatched away from the United States, including a great many of them out of the armed forces and out of leadership and commanding positions. So when the United States military is hobbled, that is a great opportunity for this coalition of nations to strike the United States. And where are they going to strike? They're not going to strike Peoria, Illinois, or Duluth. They're going to strike the bigger cities, the hubs that, that make the country tick as far as technology and industry and that sort of thing. So that's why I said it in New York City, to hobble New York City, to cripple it, bring it to the ground, and that would be a part of the great hobbling of the United States. So that's why I said it there, again, strictly from a storytelling point of view. Well, I believe it's great that you include all of these facets of Bible prophecy, including John 14, that talks about the Father's house and Jesus returning for us. Talk just a little bit more, if you would, about this uh, tradition that you mentioned earlier, that Jesus is coming for his bride, just like in the Jewish marriage tradition. Yes, I I really break it down into greater detail in the book, because It's such a beautiful thing. And again, when Jesus said in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because in that tradition, the the man did go and he prepared that place within his father's house. It was the father who said, okay, everything looks good. Go get your bride. And then the son would, along with his attendants, he would walk through the street. And and often they did it at night, which for us Americans, we would think, well, that sounds kind of rude. Go get your bride in the middle of the night. But for them, it was considered very romantic. And so the groom and his groomsmen would walk through the street and people in the street would see them and they would say, behold, the bridegroom comes. And they would stand outside of the bride's door. They would not go up to the door. They would stand outside of it and someone would blow the shofar and then the the groom would call out and the bride would come in the same way that Jesus 
He's not going to come all the way down to earth when he seizes his bride. There's going to be the trumpet call of God. The the archangel is going to shout out, and we we can only imagine, just in a storyteller's mind, that that archangel is yelling, behold, your bridegroom comes. And so Jesus doesn't come all the way down to earth. He's outside the earth's atmosphere, calls to his bride, and she comes out to meet him. And the dead in Christ rise first. And that's a part that I actually show within the novel portion of the time of Jacob's trouble. I show graves actually bursting open throughout New York City and throughout the world, urns that are empty, where the dead in Christ rise. And then I actually talk about CCTV cameras, again, throughout the entire world, that shows people literally disappearing right off of those cameras. And that's when Jesus is out in the earth's atmosphere above the heavens there, and he yells out for his bride. And I'm telling you, he's going to snatch us away so quick. And when we see everything that's happening in the world, it's enough to make our head spin, isn't it? And we know that things are looking up. Our bridegroom is coming. Stick with us. We'll talk more with Donna Van Leer in her new book, The Time of Jacob's Trouble, right after this on A View from the Wall. The rapture can happen at any time. You may be ready, but are your friends and family spiritually prepared for the coming of the Lord? What will happen to those left behind? We've created a new resource to help you help them. It's called the Rapture Kit. Included in the Rapture Kit is a Bible and vital information on what the Rapture is and how to prepare for what's to come. The Rapture Kit also includes eight books on prophecy, apologetics, the Christian walk, and being a watchman for the Lord, plus a number of video and audio teachings all preloaded on an eight gigabyte flash drive. Become more strategic and active in your witnessing. Warn the lost about the coming rapture and help individuals in the post-rapture world be drawn to Christ, equipping them to become the next generation of ministry leaders. Learn more and order at rapturekit.org. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. This is Dylan and Joe, and we've been talking with Donna Van Leer about her new book on Bible prophecy, and we've had a fascinating discussion already, but in this section, we want to talk a little bit about what this means in terms of application. Uh, For example, in your novel, you talk about this idea of the Father's house, about Jesus coming back for his bride, the church, and when we look at it from that perspective, we, the church, the body of Christ, we are the bride, and there's a certain way we're supposed to be prepared for when our groom comes. Talk a little bit about that in terms of application for us today. Right. You know, I always, when I think about this, I always think that Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world, but if the salt loses its saltiness, Jesus actually says it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath. And that's who we are. Those who are in Christ, those who are the true bride of Christ, we are supposed to be salt. And what does salt do? Well, it makes you thirsty for one thing. So we should be making the world thirsty for the return of Christ. We should make it, it's not a scary thing at all. And even so many people within the church itself is afraid 
of the return of Christ. But we are supposed to be salty in a way that we say, hey, this is our blessed hope. This is when Jesus comes back, when after these seven years are finished, this world is going to be refurbished and renewed, and there's not going to be any more sex trafficking. There's not going to be any more genocide, any more abuse, any more sin, any more alcoholism, disease. It's all going to be gone. This is our blessed hope that we're looking for, that this world is going to be renewed. So we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to make people thirsty. Salt also cleanses. Salt, if you have a a cut, if you have a wound, salt doesn't just sit there. It goes to work immediately cleansing and disinfecting that wound so that infection doesn't set up in in it. And in the same way, we as salt, with the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us, we don't adapt to the culture. We're not just supposed to sit there and adapt to the wound. We're supposed to go to work cleansing it and purifying it and and making it better. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be purifying. We're supposed to be um, protecting and, and making people thirsty for the return of Christ and to make them hungry for it. We are supposed to be that shining city on a hill that points people to Jesus. And unfortunately, we live in such an age, and I, I go into this in greater detail in um, in a podcast. It's just a limited podcast that I've done. It's called Things Are Looking Up, and you can listen to it wherever podcasts are listened to or at my website, donavanleer.com backslash looking up. But I go into prophecies that weren't understood by previous generations, but we are the generation that is understanding a lot of prophecies. And a lot of those prophecies are in regards to technology. Because of technology, we have seen a vast spread of false teaching. Bible talks about Jesus himself, talks about false teachers, false prophets, false apostles. And a lot of that is spreading now because of technology. So we're in this age where we are really battling against this technology where the word is getting out faster. The wrong word is getting out faster, but as salt and light, we are duty bound to use that platform, whatever we have. Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? Where? What are you on because that is your platform. Everybody has a platform, and we can be salt, and we can be light, and we can point people to Jesus and let them know in gentle and loving and kind yet challenging ways that things are looking up. Donna, thank you so much for the way you've portrayed all of this. A good amount of Bible prophecy teaching as well as a great storyline in there. Um, Go right to our last question. These are indeed troublesome times, and many of our audience consider themselves watchmen or women. They're those who watch, warn, witness, and seek to finish well in these last days, as you've aptly described them. Could you share some encouragement and challenge specifically for our watchman community? Absolutely. It can be very discouraging, as both of you know. It can be discouraging to watch because you even watch people within the church, and it's almost like they don't care. They have no interest. They just ignore it. I had one friend who said, oh, I don't want to talk about any of that scary stuff. And again, that's misinformation. It is incorrect teaching that people have received over the years. So I know it can be discouraging. I get discouraged myself at times. 
But when I read through the prophecies, and again, I see that there are already 500 that have been fulfilled, it just fills me in awe and wonder of who God is, that He has a story from the very beginning. He has a story of love. He knew where the world would be heading. He knew that at the end it would be thrashing time, that the devil himself, that great serpent, that he would be thrashing about and causing as much trouble as possible. But we have to be encouraged because Jesus has already crushed that serpent's head. We know that he doesn't win in the end. We do. So we just have to keep our hearts looking up. We have to every day jump out of bed and pray in faith, believing that God is doing a powerful work, that he is drawing people to himself. And we have to pray that way that through these times that God will continue to draw people to himself. Because as I've been saying, everything that we see in the world, we know that things are looking up and we can't be people who are sitting around on our hands or sitting around and wringing them in frustration and great discouragement. We have to be looking up people and point to others that way. Say, hey, things are looking up. Let's keep our, let's keep our focus and our hearts and our eyes looking up. Well, your words encourage me and encourage our listeners as well. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 4.18, where Paul talks about the rapture and concludes with the words, therefore encourage one another with these words. It's been said that Bible prophecy for the believer should not be scary. It should be a thing that encourages us that the world is not falling apart. It is falling into place. And Donna, we thank you for being here and talking about your new book, The Time of Jacob's Trouble. You can pick up a copy of her new book, by the way, at our web store at IamAWatchman.com. Click on the bookstore and you'll see a copy of her book feature there. You can also find out more about Donna at DonnaVanLear.com. And if you're checking this out online, you'll see the link below where you listen to this podcast today. Thanks for being with us and join us next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.